me out. I'm like, you know, I'm not ready to have a, a YouTube camera in my living room. You, does that make sense? <laughs> I know some of you are like, well, that, that's normal now, you know? I'm like, oh, yeah, not, not to this guy, not to this guy. Well, I want to, uh, well, I just, I have to say, um, back in the Calvary Chapel, what a neat place. Thank you so much. I feel welcome. I'm a Calvary Chapel ordained pastor, not from from old, but uh, it is uh, it's so good to be among uh, among you folks today. I mean, it's what a blessing it is. And I have to tell you, uh, you have such uh, a, a rich spirit of worship in this body. It is what a blessing, what a blessing. So, and this coming from a guy who, uh, you know, I spent six years. Uh, you know, running all over Northern California, filling in for pastors and rural communities all over. And uh, yeah, what an amazing thing you have here. So it's it's a blessing, right? This is a treasure you have here, this fellowship. So I know. Now I'm going to get all kinds of flack. I'm going to be back in the pulpit in Raymond, California next week. And they're going to be like, well, we saw you, Pastor, on YouTube. And what's all this talk about how, how awesome Calvary Chapel of the Sierras is, you know? Uh, <laughs> oh, gosh, you guys. All right. Dave, how long do I have? Because I never asked. Okay. So when you all start to either drool or nod off or something like that, then I'm going to know, oh, okay, Lord, it's, it's time to close. But if we could, if it's okay with you, I have a tendency to move around a little bit or I might fall asleep. But um, uh, I've been told I kind of have to stay here for the camera. Uh, so, uh, so forgive me if I do move around. It's just my, just the way I am. But if we could, please, let's just again, ask God's blessing upon, uh, the teaching of his word this morning. Yes. All right. And father, we do exactly that. Lord, uh, we are here for nobody but you. Father, we worship you, God. We continue to, as we worshiped you in song, Lord, we, we have come this morning with ready hearts and ready minds to receive all that your spirit would teach us this morning from your word. God, inspire us, Lord. Fill us, God. Direct us, encourage us, admonish us, Lord, this morning as we seek your face, that we might be filled with you, Lord, that we might overflow with everything that you are. That we might, in our, our very everyday selves, Lord, be bringing people to yourself. We pray in your precious name, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Right. And so, uh, we're going to be in John chapter 12. I know you're probably waiting like, oh, where's this? when is this guy going to announce this? Where is he going to be? Okay, so John chapter 12. And we're just going to look at just a short passage this morning, uh, verses 20 through 26. Um, I call this uh, message, uh, I've entitled this message, Embracing the Principle of Glorification. And so for all you theology people, I, please don't grab the nearest you know, book of uh, Reary Theology and come after me after service, okay? This will make more sense here in a little bit as I go on. You know, you're like, the principle of glorification, where is that, buddy? All right? Uh, John chapter 12, like I said, we're going we're gonna to kind of jump right in uh, at verse 20 and through 26. All right, and so, uh, uh, and I know we're, we, all of us pastors, we teach a little bit differently. I'm this strange, like, Baptocostal, Calvary Chapel, you know, yo, I am. I'm like, I told Sam, are you sure you want to invite me? I'm like, I'm really, I'm not your typical Calvary Chapel guy. I'm not, I don't stand up here like this and, uh, you know, and just, and just go at it. Um, I'm, I'm very, uh, Oh, personable, and I'm used to a, a responsive environment. So if this guy here looks at you and says, Amen, I want to hear. Amen. All right. Thank you. Okay. All right. Yep. And please, you know, careful. Don't clap for this guy. You clap for King Jesus, all right? Because he is the only one who is worthy. Yes? All right. Okay. Awesome. All right. Awesome. Embracing the principle of glorification. Uh, again, uh, John 12. 20 through 26. And so have you ever, well, first let me ask this question. Any, uh, I know I just have to ask, I just have to ask any, any current, uh, planning to be or past, uh, Olympians in this room today. Okay, good. I'm safe. All right. <laughs> All right. Well, have you ever attempted to reach your full potential in any given area of your life? Think about that for a second. Oh, man, you're like, Pastor, what are you doing? I mean, you're, I mean, you know, it's like, 
Have we, and I had to ask myself this same question, Justin, you know, that's not a fair question. I'm like, have you, have you ever attempted to reach your, my full potential, your full potential in any given area of life? Well, you know what? A lot of us would have to answer honestly, right? And go, ah, well, how much I can eat at one time? And you know, I mean, you know what I mean? I mean, how many of you have sat down at some place and tried to finish the 98-ouncer, you know, with the, the sides and stuff like that? I actually haven't, although I kind of look like I have. But, you know, <laughs> not many of us can say that we have tried, you know, we have, we have sought, we have pursued to reach uh, our full potential in any given area of our lives. Um, you know, we would like to say that, you know, yeah, we're striving for Christ, and, and yet, you know, people ask me, all the time at church, Pastor, are you ready to, to bring a message today? Guess what my answer is? Every single Sunday, it's only the few people that do this. And I say, no. No, I'm not. Because I never feel ready. I never, I never feel like I've come to the end of who Christ is. Ooh, and if you have, we need to see each other because you should be up here and, and not me on a Sunday morning. But I, I never, I never feel like it's it's totally complete. I never feel like I've studied hard enough. I never feel like I've prayed and worshipped enough, and, and and so you know, in that area of my life, I can't I can't say that I have you know reached my potential either. And I don't. I doubt many of us can. You know, for as long as it seems, though, right? We have competition. Um, we're going to look at the Olympics this morning, you know. So for as long as it seems, people have demonstrated an innate desire and drive, though, to reach their maximum potential through development of their individual particular giftedness as human beings. This is why we have NASCAR, right? Okay, right? I mean, this is, this is why we have Olympic sports, right? This is why we have eating competitions. This is, you know, this is why, you know, those, you know, you, you get those, I won't call them punks, but, mm, you know, uh, from stoplight, you know, the stoplight to stoplight guys, right? You're like, oh, I'm just trying to go to work, you know. Um, I'm like, man, I, I tell you, um, you know, it, it's as if deep down inside, we as people, we as human beings, we sense that we were made for something much greater than an existence of mere subsistence. In essence, from the beginning, people have been pursuing glory. Okay? In essence, from the very beginning, people have been pursuing glory. And when I say that, I'm not necessarily, you know, talking about uh, self-gratification, although, yeah, that's a part of it. It's, it's human nature, right? But, you know, I really believe that um, our desire, and some of us it's stronger than others, that our desire is really, uh, whether we're saved or not, is a, is a, a pursuit, a, a desire, a, a grappling with um, reclaiming what we deep down inside know has been lost. Does that make sense to you? We're pursuing glory. We're pursuing, for those of us who are in Christ today, what is to come. And for those of us who may not be in Christ today, what could be, what should be. Amen? Amen. The, this pursuit of glorification, or to be the very best we can be, requires monumental focus, effort, and sacrifice, to say the least. Well, in an article written by a woman named Jessica Booth in February of 2018 entitled, that's why I asked about Olympians this morning, how many hours do Olympic athletes practice? And then prepare your jaw to drop. That's the title of the, or the, of the article. She brings to light the effort put forth by these athletes to reach their full potential in their given sport or discipline in an attempt to achieve the glory they so desire. And she cites a 2008 Forbes article that says, it's common for Olympic athletes to spend four to eight years training in a sport before even making an Olympic team. Four to eight years just training, just to be good enough to make an Olympic team. And then she says, uh, as, they, as they prepare and as they're training, they actually... Uh, uh, plan their training schedule schedules years in advance so they can work toward hitting specific goals as part of their training. Whew. 
Come on, is that commitment? Right? I'm already convicted, right? Are you already convicted? I'm like, oh, I've never tried to do anything that hard in my life, right? Oh. She says, uh, you know, toward the end of the, her article, that she cites another study that found that uh, Olympic athletes on average put in a minimum of 10,000 hours of practice before the games. 10,000 hours. That's just, if you take that in eight-hour days, that's just shy of four years. Somewhere in there, I think. Right, not taking weekends off. Yeah, yes, exactly. Um, so as we've discussed, or we've been discussing the desire and efforts of people to become the very best they can be, have you ever considered what it is to see God at his very best? Well, let's take a second, right? Have you ever really thought about what it is to see God at his very best? I want you to think about what we have accomplished as human beings, right? I mean, we have, human beings have done amazing things. Look at our technology. I mean, oh, you guys, most of us have one of these, right? Little, uh, yeah, exactly, right? Sometimes uh, these uh, have a tendency to run our lives. But, um, you know, we, we create the most amazing technology. Uh, sometimes I think the human race has really kind of outthought itself. Uh, and that's going to be our undoing. But that's a message for another time, okay? <laughs> we don't have time for that this morning. But of all the amazing things that people have done, I mean, look at how much money. I didn't actually pull the, stati the statistics, but, you know, pro sports, right? I mean, some of the stuff I like to watch. Um, I know we've probably got some football fans in here, you know, some maybe some soccer fans and different stuff, you know. Okay, now I'm not going to ask about golf, but no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> You're like, hey, hey, wait a minute. Um, you know, considering what we have done and considering the amount of time and resources and efforts that, you know, people put in, individual athletes put in, and then, uh, you know, the money that's made off of that and just, you know, all this stuff, all this effort all around, you know, watching people do the compete and do the very, very best that they can. How often have we really stepped back and thought, you know, as we are, we walk with God and as we read his word and as we serve him from day to day, you know, how many of us have really stepped back and thought, wow, I wonder what it is to see, to really see God, God at his very best. Well, the fact of the matter is we have. At least through the lens of Scripture, Christ glorified upon the cross is God at his very best. Thank you. I didn't even have to call for it. Amen. Absolutely. We know the doctrine of glorification speaks to God transforming or transitioning us from our sinful moral bodies that we have to put up with today, right? Into the perfected sinless bodies that are to come that we will inhabit throughout eternity. Whereas the doctrine of sanctification informs us of our spiritual uh, current perfected state in heaven, while at the same time in, the, in a process of spiritual growth towards Christ-likeness, right now in this present world. Well, this morning, with Jesus as our example, I'd like to speak to you about embracing what I like to call the principle of glorification. For me, it rests between the doctrines of glorification and sanctification being so closely linked to both. And so hopefully you've got your Bibles open. You're like, Wow, man, is he ever going to read scripture? Yes, I promise we will. All right, I know Sam would beat me about the head and shoulders. No, um, we're going to drop into our passage, of course, as I, I said before, verse 20, chapter 12. Uh, historically, contextually, this is Tuesday, April 4th of AD 30, three days before Jesus' death upon the cross for the sins of the world. Yes. All right, I've got my eyes on. Verse 20, now there were certain Greeks among those who came up to worship at the feast. This would be Passover. Then they came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida of Galilee, and asked him, saying, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. 
Philip came and told Andrew, and in turn Andrew and Philip told Jesus. Verse 23. This is really, look at this. But Jesus answered them, saying, The hour is come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Most assuredly I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground it dies and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. He who loves his life will lose it. And he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, let him follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. If any man, if anyone serves me, him will my father honor. And so as we look at this passage here, it's, I'm just, I've broken it up into three parts. Um, Verses 20 through 23, Jesus' response and solution to the Gentiles seeking life. Verses 24 and 25, the principle of glorification, which I'm going to explain more here in a bit. And lastly, number three, qualifications and recompense for true disciples there in verse 26. And so if you'll scroll back up with me back to verse 20, I'm going to read that short section again. Now there were certain Greeks among those who came up to worship at the feast. Then they came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida of Galilee, and asked him, saying, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Isn't that so funny, you know? You have Greek converts to Judaism there to, to worship. They're there in Jerusalem. Uh, and uh, they have heard about Jesus, and they're they're seeking him. And they I like how they come to Philip, and uh, I can just see Philip you know, thinking to himself, well, here, here's this, these group of Gentiles, and, and you want to see Jesus? And, uh, you know, he's thinking to himself, well, I better, you know what, let me connect with Andrew about this first. Hold on one second. This is kind of a strange request, okay? And I just like the fact that he went and got Andrew, and then they both came to Jesus, <laughs> like it was some kind of big deal. <laughs> Verse 22, so Philip and Andrew, Philip came and told Andrew, and uh, in turn, Andrew and Philip told Jesus. And look here in Verse 23, and Jesus' response. But Jesus answered them, saying, The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. You see, Jesus' solution, or excuse me, his response and solution to the Gentiles beginning to seek him out was to complete the very mission that the Father had sent him to accomplish. His ultimate glorification through dying upon the cross for the sins of the world, and rising again the third day. Jesus had been glorifying the Father, and the Father had been glorifying the Son throughout Jesus' earthly ministry. I mean, uh, from his baptism, through his teachings, and the miracles that he performed. However, Jesus' death upon the cross, and the resurrection, or excuse me, and then his uh, resurrection was is and will for all these amazing things that that we can see that that speak of God's glory you know and the the images from space the black holes and you know different uh, uh solar systems and different uh parts of the universe that you know that we have photos of now and uh that you know mankind aspires to go and see and yet nothing is as amazing nothing is as awesome Nothing demonstrates the glory of God more than that moment in history when Jesus hung upon the cross for our sins. Nothing. I tell you what, it becomes more and more and more significant to me personally as I grow in Christ. I, a guy once said uh, when I was uh, uh, very, very young in the Lord and we were traveling in a car together and I thought... Uh, I was struggling, and he could tell I was in the back seat, and I was, I was quiet for once, and uh, yeah, you know, uh, and you know, he his name was Tracy, and he he looked back at me, and he's like, Justin, what's the deal? You know, you've been so quiet, and he's like, and I said, you know, Tracy, I said, you know, I, I so much God, Jesus has changed my life so much. I mean, he's really young in the Lord. God saved me out of darkness, okay, and uh, and I was growing in Christ, and and. The more I, I, I grew to know about who Christ was and is, uh, and you know, as much as I knew about myself, I was just so, I was just bummed. You know, I mean, 
in the light of who he is, I began to see how deplorable I was and still am today. And that's what Tracy told me. He said, hey, congratulations, brother. That's called, that's called spiritual growth, right? The, the, the more clearly we see who Christ is and his glory, uh, the more nasty, right? The nastier, the, the more deplorable we realize that we are. And the, but Tracy pointed out to me something really important. And I want to point that out to you this morning, just real quick, kind of as a segue here in this study. But simply this, uh, that's not meant to bum us out. That's not meant to slow us down in our walk with Christ. That's not meant for us to sit back and say, I, I'm not worthy. I'm not equipped. I'm just not going to serve God in the way he's calling us to serve or you personally to serve. That revelation of the amazingness of Jesus Christ and the fact that we're not, and we're the opposite on the opposite spectrum of that, isn't supposed to work discouragement in our lives. It's supposed to work praise. It's supposed to work thanksgiving. It's supposed to work worship. It's supposed to work dependency in our lives so that we can go and correctly uh, manifest who Christ is to an unbelieving and dark world. Right. And so as we're talking about uh, Jesus' response and solution to these Gentiles, right? Seeking life. And he gives this response there in verse 23, he answered and said, you know, notice Jesus, you know, Jesus didn't say, okay, well, all right, let's, uh, we're going to have to delay some things here, put, put a hold on things. Okay, you know, Philip and Andrew, we need, you need to connect with some people, and we're going to, uh, you know, we'll put a, a preaching tour together. Uh, you know, we'll, you know, right, you know what I mean? And uh, the cross will have to wait. No, no. Jesus said the hour has come, right? The solution was the cross, and Jesus knew it. Okay, the hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. The hour has come for me to shine more brightly in the world than the world can possibly comprehend, than, more brightly than any of the prophets could ever have imagined him to be. I have three reasons for the glorification of Christ, and they are as follows here. Why was Jesus glorified? What was, the, what was, what was in all this? Number one, was to make the greatest sacrifice, as we've been discussing it, and demonstration of love divinely possible. Oh, okay. So who really is qualified? Who really can explain and demonstrate the love of God? My friends, I am sucking wind up here. Okay? I can't, you know what? I'm not even worthy. I can't, you know... We say, we tell people, well, oh, God loves you. You know, God loves you. And yet, um, and we tell people all the time that, that Christ died upon the cross for your sins. But I tell you what, it's, it's, I just feel like as I say it um, and as I've shared it with others, you know what, unless the Holy Spirit brings uh, depth to it, I feel I sound so shallow. It feels so shallow to me. And, you know, sometimes, too, as Christians, right, we hear that all the time. And maybe your unsaved family members are hearing it from you all the time. And it just seems like, oh, you know, Justin's, you know, Justin's telling me Jesus loves me again. You know, okay, oh, yeah, yeah, I've heard that. I've heard that before. Yeah, yeah, Jesus died upon the cross for my sins. Okay, yeah, yeah, I've heard that before. And yet, my friends, I've got to tell you, we need to keep telling people that. Amen. Yeah. Because it's not us who brings depth to the reality of the truth. It is the work of the Holy Spirit in their hearts. So please be encouraged. Don't be discouraged. You know, don't say, you know what I've told uncle so-and-so, you know, at least a thousand times about the love of God for him. You keep telling uncle so-and-so. You keep telling your grandparents. You keep telling your kids if they don't know the Lord Jesus Christ. Encourage your kids to keep telling their, their classmates. Okay, or maybe they're older, the folks that they work with, because God, you know what? I don't know if you figured this out yet. He's in the business of saving souls. Amen. Yeah? Right? John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. We all know that. We can rattle it off, even though I just read it here today. And yet, 
as we pursue the Lord Jesus Christ and we understand um, what it is in, that you know had, has occurred, the significance of it as the Spirit brings depth, that depth to our souls, we begin to appreciate it that much more. First John, right? 4, 9, and 10. In this, the love of God was manifest toward us that God sent His only begotten Son into the world that we might live through Him. In this is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation, the payment in full for our sins. And we all know, of course, Romans 5.8. I'm sure we've shared it so often, right? But God demonstrates, right, His own love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So we're talking about the human race, right? This innate desire, this deep ingrained desire to, to pursue glory, to pursue, you know, either that sense of what was lost or that sense of what could possibly be. And we see here that God's solution, Jesus understood the Father's solution uh, for the, the salvation of the world, the answer to sin was that the Son of Man should be glorified, that the Son of Man should uh, demonstrate who God is and what God is and how God is at his very best upon the cross. Just as Jesus was glorified in loving us, so we, as we embrace, excuse me, so we embrace the glory for which we were created when we seek to love others the same way. Yep. I know. I am sure Pastor Sam has told you that. This is not a new truth to you, but I tell you what. So much gets in the way of sacrificially loving people, doesn't it? Yep. We're going to come to that here in just a second. Number two, the second reason or facet of Christ being glorified was to demonstrate his own personal power over sin and death. We see here in Acts chapter 2, verses 22 through 24, Peter's sermon at Pentecost. He says, Men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, uh, Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know, him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken and by lawless hands have crucified and put to death. And in verse 24, whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death because it was not possible that he should be held by it. And then Jesus himself, through the Apostle John, in Revelation 1.18, he says of himself, I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and of death. Right? So the second reason, or part of Jesus being glorified, was to demonstrate his own personal power over sin and death. And I tell you, so throughout his earthly ministry, uh, he was raising the dead. Right? He was restoring sight to the blind. He was healing lepers. He was doing all these amazing things. But I tell you what, it's one thing to raise, for a person to raise someone from the dead, for a, you know, someone to, to come in and lay hands on somebody and heal them of maybe what they you know, would be considered today an incurable disease um, or something terrible like that. But it's quite another thing for someone to actually die and then come back to life. Yes? <laughs> yes, exactly. Well, I tell you what, like Jesus... When we embrace, excuse me, we embrace the glory for which we were created when we demonstrate the resurrection of power, the resurrection power of God, excuse me, in us by living in victory over sin. Okay? So the first, right? Uh, we embrace glory when we, uh, that we were created for when we seek to love others the same way. And the next here, uh, we embrace glory uh, in which we were created when we demonstrate the resurrection power of God in us by living in victory over sin. I tell you, and I know these are not concepts and so forth that are foreign to us at all, but I tell you, you know, I, I 
I struggled and struggled. You can ask my wife. I asked her to pray. I'm like, honey, I, I think this is the message I should bring. It seems, uh, it just seems so basic, right? I mean, we've heard this stuff before, but my friends, the Lord has so put it upon my heart. We really, as the church, we need to grow in the depth of this. Do you realize uh, when we love people sacrificially, um, the, the world sits up and takes notice how many of you were drawn to Christ through the, the witness of another person in their life and the way they would simply love the people that, that you know, were put in front of them. Right? They would go out of their way. They would love sacrificially, not thinking of themselves. How many of us were, uh, were, were drawn to Christ you know, by, uh, uh, you know, by a friend or a family who just was set apart from our culture, still relevant in our culture, but set apart unto the Lord in holiness, right? Not looking down you know, at people down their nose, but willing to communicate, but at the same time, not willing to, to run into darkness and go after the things that maybe we were doing and our friends were doing uh, back in the day. Okay, that's, that's demonstrating the reality of Jesus Christ in the world, my friends. I tell you, it's no good for us to call ourselves Christians and not, being, not manifesting the very love of God and not demonstrating power over sin in our lives in this world. I, know, I don't hear an amen. Okay, right? You're like, Pastor Justin, you're stepping on my toes. Where's Sam? Right? <laughs> Sam, I know you're watching. <laughs> Come back soon. <laughs> oh, Next, the, the third, third part of uh, Jesus' glorification was to, to take to himself again the glory of that was his from the beginning, right? We see in John later, in the Gospel of John, chapter 17, verses 4 and 5, in, you know, part of Jesus' priestly prayer to the Father, he says, as he prays, he says, I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. And then he prays, And now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. And we apply that to our lives as we consider just as Jesus longed to take upon himself the glory that was his before time, so we embrace the glory for which we were created when our motivation for living is to love God and be perfected in the state in which he originally intended for us. Right? Such aspirations of people, right? I'm going to win that race. I'm going to train for 48 years, hoping to get onto an Olympic team. I'm going to, all my life is going to be structured around meeting very specific goals in my life so that, you know, I can make a team, an Olympic team, and I can, you know, win one of these medals. I can capture, I can gain the glory that I'm looking for, that I, I long for with all my being. And yet, we would call that maybe in the counseling world deficit motivation. Because in the end, what do you have? Some sponsors, maybe. Yeah, you might do a commercial or two. Does anyone uh, know who any of the Olympic medalists were 10, 15, 20 years ago? Can rattle those off? Probably not, right? Mm. But my friends, I'm telling you, we can move heaven and earth as the church of Jesus Christ if our every motivation was the love of God and to be to embrace the glory, the perfection that we so long for. Not, not the perfection of skill in this world, not the glory and recognition, but Christ-likeness. To be free from sin to be perfected, to never have an impure thought again, to, to correctly and perfectly reflect the glory of the one who shed his blood for us upon the cross on Calvary. Man, I'm telling you, God is doing something very powerful in this church. I sense it. Um, the word of God is going out here. Uh, you guys are ministering to, commu to the community. I, I just, 
God is going to move here. As we move on to verses 24 and 25, there in, your, in chapter 12, Jesus continues, he says, Most assuredly I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. He who loves his life will lose it, and he who hates his life in this world will keep it for life eternal. Okay, this section here I've entitled, again, The Principle of Glorification. Well, very simply put, the principle of glorification is death to self enables or produces new life in others. Amen. Death to self enables or produces new life in others. And Jesus, of course, he is our ultimate example. As the writer of he Hebrews demonstrates in Hebrews 2, 9 and 10, he says, But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting for him, for whom are all things, I think we just sung this this morning, and by whom are all things, and bringing many sons to glory, to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. Jesus had to die rise again and ascend into heaven so that he could send the Holy Spirit and the church could be born. You understand that? Okay. Unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, right? It remains alone. And yet if it dies, it brings forth much grain. That's what Jesus was saying. As the church, and I'm not going to harp on this, I'm just going to say it. As the church, it is necessary for us to live our lives dead to sin and selfish desire in order for others to behold the glory of God in us, that is, to be the very best we can be as children of God, that others might see that, believe, and be born again. Amen. Friends, it is good to be well-steeped in theology, uh, in the Bible. It is uh, amazing. But I tell you what, quoting Bible verses to people isn't going to save them. Would you agree with that? Have you tried? Who's tried that? Don't raise your hand. Okay, I know. When we were new, right, we ran, I mean, I don't know about you, but I was, I had a lot more zeal when I was young in the Lord than wisdom, okay? And I was, I mean, I had my King James Bible, and I was going at it, you know, and telling people about the Lord, and I was exciting and, and reciting Scripture to them and so forth. But I tell you, um, you know, that I never, I never want anyone to Christ that way. The only way I, 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 God used me effectively to begin to win others to him is when slowly but surely, by his power and by his glory, the people that were in my life and around my life, the, my family and the people I worked with at the grocery store in Paradise, California, um, they began to see the love of God working out in my life. They began to see, and I'm sure like you as well, they, they began to see the, the power of God and the love of God working out its way in my life, but also they began to see me being set free from that in which I was in bondage. You understand? Yep. I began to transform right before their eyes. And you know what? My focus wasn't on the next weekend or the next day off when I could get together with my friends and do things that, you know what, we don't do anymore, right? Hopefully. Okay? And my desire, instead of looking forward to the next day off and then, you know, the next drink, the next, the next, the next, the next, it was to be clothed upon, to be free, to, to be well, to be at peace. My friends, to be dead to myself and who I used to be, and to be alive to God. The principle of glorification. right? Buried like that seed in the dirt and dead. That through my life, 
through God's power in my life, he might produce his glory and therefore life in others through my life. Is that your prayer here today? Oh, my friends, it needs to be. It's the only way. Christ in us, the hope of glory. It's the only way we're going to see Raymond and North Fork and Oakers changed. It's the only way we're going to fill our sanctuary so that, you know what, we're not just doing, uh, you know, a, a service on Sunday mornings, but maybe we might have to do a few. Amen. Would that be okay? Dave says he's willing to teach one every other week, okay? Oh, there we go. <laughs> this is how we change the world, my friends. This is how we, we are, we become the very, very best that we can be in Christ. First and foremost, we have to die to ourselves. That Christ can be seen clearly in us. And then Jesus goes on in rapid succession here. As he moves to ver- we move to verse 26 of chapter 12. He says simply this. If anyone serves me, let him follow me. And where I am, my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, him, my father will honor. Again, I'm not going to belabor this one verse, but simply point out, or let's talk about what it is when he says, if anyone serves me, truly serves Christ. We call ourselves Christians, but do we truly serve the Lord Jesus Christ? Can people look at our lives and go, that's a Christian, right? You know, I know you've had that experience. You get seated at a restaurant somewhere, and it's not the, it's not the, you know, necessarily the tattoos of scripture on the arms of the of the waitress or waiter or whatever you know maybe that's not all there maybe it is sometimes right people demonstrate they show their faith in different ways uh, but it's the way you're treated the way you're you know this person this guy or this gal doesn't know you from adam's dog and yet you can sense that they're there to do more than just take your order they're there to really care for you they truly value you okay you know, I can't tell you how many times my wife and I will stop, stop the waiter or waitress and say, hey, uh, are you a Christian? And they'll say, you know, that can be a little awkward. And then you, more often than not, they'll say, yes, yes, I am. You know, and I go to this church or I was born again in 19 or whatever, you know, throwing a date there. If anyone serves me, Jesus says, let him follow me. Well, what does that mean? What are the connotations of follow maybe? Well, as we're, if we're truly following somebody, that means uh, following, okay? <laughs> In the Greek? No, I'm just kidding. Uh, that means we're not, we're not doing this when Jesus is going this way. We're not walking next to him. No, no, we're following Jesus. That means first and foremost, if we're following someone, that means we're not making the choices about what's going on or where we go or what we do. We're following Where Jesus goes, we go. That requires submission. Does that sound familiar? Kind of like dying to yourself. Right? Submission. If anyone serves me, let him follow me. Well, if we're going to follow Jesus, we have to be submitted to him. Oh, our culture does not like that word. Submit. Ooh, that's a bad word. Uh, you know it. As Christians, though, we have to submit. That's number one, faith and submission. We have to submit to Jesus, really, in order to be following him. Next, the, the connotation right around that term follow, we associate. We follow, we submit, and when we associate with Jesus, we're not undercover. I know being a Christian is not always the most popular thing in our culture today. Yeah? You think? Okay? I mean, how many of you have, uh, have felt the, uh, the eyes of death staring in the back of your head when you're out somewhere and you decide to, you know, grab hands and you bow your heads and you pray over a meal? And the people around you, just, you can just kind of feel them, their spirits bristling, Amen. you know? Amen. Yeah. But it's not comfortable, is it? No. Yeah. But that's the thing, you guys. If that's the love of Christ being worked out in us, we love him more right. than being comfortable. Yeah? Oh, yeah. Amen. 
We submit to him and we're not afraid to associate with the person of Jesus Christ. We're unabashedly, uh, unashamed. I uh, went on a motorcycle ride. I won't be long (laughs) with this story, I promise. You're like, oh, I knew he was going to bring up motorcycles somewhere. Uh, Went on a motorcycle ride with a, a friend from church yesterday, and he's like, I won't tell you the place, but he's like, hey, um, he was going on this big, long ride. I didn't have time. You know, I said, hey, if you stop for lunch somewhere, let me know. I'll try and meet you there. So I get this text, and he says, he gives me the name of this place. I'm like, oh, I've never heard of that place out somewhere around Fryant. And uh, with a gas station. Uh, yeah, anyway. Uh, you know, and so, uh, so I'm, you know, I head on out there. I meet him, and uh, I pull into this place, and I'm like, really? I'm all... This is kind of a seedy place. I'm thinking, are you sure you want to have lunch here? And he's like, well, I'm here, you know, and he's off the bite. He's, he's you know, he's one of those guys that, you know, rides something really fast. And he's, he looks like, uh, you know, he looks like a, a character out of some Mission Impossible movie, you know, all black suit and the helmet and everything. And, you know, and so, you know, it, my wings came, okay, and we're drinking water, right? <laughs> And, uh, and everyone else is not, so we're already kind of conspicuous right there, okay? We already stick out. And then, you know, I, I look at him, and, and we look around, we, you know, and we're like, hey, and we bowed our heads, and we prayed, and man, that was weird, okay? Well, that's what it is, right? That's what it is to follow Jesus, to submit to him, and not to be afraid to be associated with the person of Jesus Christ, no matter where you are or what condition what situation you're in. And the next thing, the next connotation, the next thing I want to bring out about what it is to follow him is that we emulate the things that Jesus does, right? We want to look like Jesus, yeah? And I don't mean grow your hair long, you know, come on now, all right? We want to emulate the person, you guys, I'll get it later, I know. We want to emulate the person of Jesus Christ. We want to look like he looked, from the pages of of Scripture. Um, We want to be sensitive to the moving of the Holy Spirit so that, you know what, the things that come out of our mouth are edifying, right? That communicate the love of Christ, that communicate worth, that communicate peace, yeah? Submit, associate, emulate. If anyone serves me, let him submit, associate and emulate let him follow me and he goes on to say and where i am there will my servant be the person that submits associates and emulates there will my servant be if anyone serves me him will my father honor and so that's just, that's you had the qualifications of true disciples and now you have the recompense my friends if we truly are believers in Jesus Christ, um, there's no such thing as a believer and then a disciple. Do you know that, right? I've heard that. I've heard that. I'm like, what are you talking about? If you love, if you believe in Jesus and you love Jesus, then you're a disciple of Jesus Christ. And you're going to be growing in your relationship with him. You see, if we truly love Jesus, we serve him and we follow him, we will be his servant And if we truly are the servants of Jesus Christ, heaven is promised to us. Amen? Not only is heaven promised to us, but the Father himself, as Jesus has just said here, he will honor us. Think about that. That is a a message I will leave for Jacob. (laughs) The Father will honor us. You know, um, I won't have you raise your hands, but we all have had those seasons where, uh, you know, we knew that we could be doing better with God, right? And we're, we're trying to pray and, and our prayers kind of seem to follow short and we're, we're struggling spiritually and so forth. And, and it's because we're not doing this follow thing very well. I guarantee you that's what it is. Okay. There's a distraction. There's something going on We're we're not following the Lord very well. Okay, and our prayers are being hindered. But then I know we have those seasons right where we're just on. 
and we're in the Word, and we're attending church, and we're, we're plugged into Bible studies, and we're worshiping God, and we're having victory over sin and darkness in this world and so forth, and we just sense in the depths of our souls the very pleasure of God. Have you? I hope, I'm just going to have you raise your hands again, I hope each and every one of you have and are consistently experiencing that and seeing God honor you in answering your prayers, right? Providing for you, moving in power in your life, bringing, you know, uh, those divine appointments and then putting words in your mouth, doing good, you know? I mean, you ever be around somebody and you're trying to explain a biblical concept, you're trying to talk to them about Jesus and you just don't know how to do it and you open your mouth and the words are just there. Okay? God honoring you. And so we're going to wrap this up today. This has been different. I know. <laughs> My friends, as we conclude our message today, let us embrace the principle of glorification. Let us die to ourselves that we might demonstrate the glory of God through sacrificially loving others and living in victory over sin all the while longing for the perfection that awaits us in eternity that others may see Christ in us, believe, and be born again. Let's pray. And Father, we love you, Lord, and we thank you for this day. God, I thank you for the opportunity to minister to your saints here at Calvary Chapel uh, in North Fork, Lord God. And I pray, Lord, as you have ministered to my heart through your word, Father, that you have done the same in theirs. Lord, I pray that you would be glorified in our lives that others would see your glory as we seek to be the very best we can be, Lord, not through our own actions and determination, but God, by simply surrendering to you and let you do it, letting you do it. Lord, use us to bring many to yourself, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So let's stand to close with the doxology, but if, if there was anything that was shared this morning that um, struck a chord in you and um, stood out to you and you'd like prayer for anything, we're going to have um, some family on the other side just to pray for you. Um, I'd highly encourage you to just take advantage of the body of Christ. Take advantage of, of the opportunity to be prayed over. Um, so let's, let's sing to close. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him all creatures here below, praise Him above the heavenly host, praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, Amen. Present.